All right. Good morning, Church on the Rock. Woo! All right. I uh, hope you are uh, ready to enjoy some good worship with us here. If you uh, are newly come back, I hope you can sit back and relax and enjoy. Uh, if you're online watching, I hope you, uh, you can uh, enjoy too. Welcome to church in every single way that, uh, that we have it here at Church on the Rock. We're starting a new series, and this is a short series, only three weeks. But we're going to try and dig into a topic that you might not have thought of a lot about before. And that is what uh, a word I've used about three or four times already. It's the word church. <laughs> it is the word church. If you've never grown up in church, if you never sort of used to it, going to church, it is kind of weird, isn't it? You're sitting in these very hard chairs, and uh, you're going to soon hear a concert, and go a live music concert, which is beautiful. You feel the bass, mainly because the people on our soundboard love the bass, and I tell them to crank it up. And, and, but it's weird because now you sing. You sing to the concert, and it's uh, just different that way. And not only that, you have a lecture. You have a lecture that's like a really long TED Talk, but maybe not as informative. But you go, okay, well, I got a TED Talk, I got a live concert, and they want me to sing. It's just different to go to church. If you grew up in church, a lot of us come to church because it's the thing to do. It's Sunday morning, so you go to church. That's sort of the, the normal thing. But I'm not sure if you've ever asked yourself, Why? Why do I do this? Why do I actually get up in the morning on Sunday morning where all my neighbors are sleeping in? Do any of you have sleep in envy here? All right? You drive by and going, oh, they're turning over again. And I'm, especially if you have kids, right? You are driving going, oh, and the kids are going, I had to get my kids up to go to church. Like, do you ever wonder why bother? Why do you do this? Everything competes with church. I know there is, a, there is a, a business school in Harvard, and they asked a pastor to come in to sort of pitch what churches do. And then the, the professor said, so what's, what's, what's the competition of Last Baptist here, you know, in, in the community? And uh, somebody said, you know, is it Last Presbyterian? No. Everything is a competition to the church. You know what's competition to the church? Raking your leaves. And me just saying that makes you go, oh, I should be doing that. Uh, sleep is competition. Football, because they do have some pregame commentaries. Tim Hortons is competition to the church. And then you have to get up early to go to church. So it makes sense. Why bother? And then I've come in contact with a lot of people who've been hurt at church. I remember there was a young man. It was amazing. He, uh, he, he looked around and he said, this is great. I go, why is this great? He said, because 10 years ago, I decided to go to church for the very first time in my life. A friend invited me. And he said he sat in the front row. He didn't know any better. Most people realize the front row is saved for the angels, all right? So it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Love you, Rich. <laughs> but the deal is he sat in the front row and he saw a, a man in a suit come sort of rushing towards him. And he thought, this was going to be my welcome. This would be my, my thank you for coming, young man. And he comes up to the young man and this man says, get your hat off in the sanctuary, son. <laughs> so he got his hat off, but then he left and he didn't go back to church for 10 years. Sometimes, some of us have been hurt by church. There's this uh, 
it's just uh, one person that I know very dearly, and, 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 and she said, man, she's working so hard, teaching Sunday school, doing nursery. And then somebody met her in the parking lot and said, hey, why aren't you serving at church? She got so ticked about it. She says, well, forget you. I'm not coming back ever. And she didn't. She didn't come back ever from about the age of 42 on until her death. And that was my mom. Isn't that wild? Just that one comment pushes people out the door at churches. And a lot of people have been hurt by church. I have been multiple times. So why bother, right? Why bother? Why do you come? Why? Why do you actually come? You can get podcasts for information. You get a small group for your friends. You can hang out at a coffee shop. In fact, there are people who have written about that. There's one man, an influential Christian author. He said, I'd rather hang out with friends at a waterfall than go to church. It's not my learning style. And he says, I'm not really obligated to go. It's not like... I'm going to get to go to heaven if I go. I get to go to heaven whether I go or not. <coughs> and so, why bother? Since COVID, uh, COVID, it's been good to stay in jammies. Amen? So why bother? Why bother? So I thought, let's just take three weeks. Let's just take three weeks. And week number one is just to define what is this weird thing that we do? What is this weird thing that we do called the local church? What is it? And for the next two weeks after that, we're going to ask the question, so if this is what the local church is, well, what should be happening here? In other words, if this should be happening here, then, then that should go, wow, maybe I should be more and more a part of it. So the reason why we have hay bales, all right, is, uh, is because we're asking you to grow in your local church, locally grown. <laughs> Boom, boom. <laughs> this first message, this first message, we're going to be digging deeper into the Bible. So if uh, you're into information, this is a kind of message for you. First of all, who invented, who came up with the idea of church? A lot of people think it's a human invention. Somebody decided to institutionalize a movement that Jesus had. There's this great movement that he had, and it was so alive, and then all of a sudden the church came and killed it. But the fact is, actually Jesus was the one that came up with the word church. Actually not the word church, but it's in the Greek, it's ekklesia, and many of you know that. Ekklesia was used for Greek city-states. A Greek city-state would be a city that, that's like its own country. And then not everybody who lived in that city uh, was called a citizen, but some were called citizens. And those citizens, when they gathered together, the gathering of citizens was called the ekklesia, the gathering and so actually, the church, the word church should have actually been translated the gathering. And that makes all the difference when you read the Bible and it says church. Could you just add, just substitute the word out for the gathering, the gathering of the saints, the gathering of the saints when, when they gather. In fact, you know what the word church has come from? It's a holy word. It's a holy word. I hate this. I think the early Bible uh, translators put in holy words instead of just a pure literal translation. And this is what it is. In English, church actually comes from an old Germanic word that means holy building, which has nothing to do with the gathering. And this is why some of the problem. The church is not the building. I think most of us know this. But it is a gathering. 
And so let's find out the first time that Jesus actually talked about what this gathering is. This happens in Matthew 16. The whole book of Matthew should have, these guys are just trying to figure out who Jesus is. Matthew 16 comes, and it's a real pivotal time. About this, this passage sort of changes the whole book in a huge way. And, and this is what it all, it all changes from when uh, Jesus asks, okay, who do people say that I am? Some people say, well, well, some people think you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some people think you're a great prophet. Some people think you're a good teacher. And you can almost just hear Jesus going, no, yeah, no, no. And then Peter, Peter is the, uh, the oldest one of the disciples. He's sort of the leader of the disciples. He has his own business. Uh, and uh, that, that's, uh, so he is often the, the one who speaks first, uh, which is good at sometimes and bad at other times. And so Matthew chapter 16, verse 16 to 18 says this. So Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah, the anointed one. The one that's been talked about in the Old Testament for eons. So you're the one that the whole Old Testament has been talking about. You are the Christ. The son of the living God, which now defines what the Christ is. It's not just a good prophet. You're the son of the living God. Whatever, you are re so related. You're made of the same stuff as God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who's in heaven. In other words, you didn't come up with this idea yourself. Guess what? My, my Father whispered this to you. You might not even heard it. It was just an idea that came to your head. But that idea that came to your head actually was from my Father. And this is what Jesus says as he starts something new. And the whole book of Matthew uh, changes. But my father is in, who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter. He changes his name. Up until this moment, the word Peter was, was never used as a name. In, instead of, a, a, it's, it's a petros. It's a, it's a small rock. It's, it's a rock that can be held in your hand. So in other words, he said, I'm going to change your name, Pebbles. This is who you are. And he says, upon this rock, and then he uses a different word, Petra, which is a cliff, a huge mountain. Upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So guess what? Peter says, listen, you are, you are God. You are the son of the living God. You're a Messiah. My, my dad revealed that to you on that rock of that confession. Guess what's going to happen? I'm going to build this thing called the gathering. The gathering is going to be built on that confession. And, okay, well, what, what's, what's this gathering all about? Well, I mean, you're going to find out more about what the gathering is about. But one thing for sure, the gates of hell will not stand against it. Some people are, are wondering which way the battle goes, as if the gates of hell are, 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 are pushing against us. But gates are, are defensive places. And so, in other words, we're, we're pushing against the gates of hell. We're robbing the evil one of the things that are behind those gates. So let's get this again. So Jesus says, this is, the, this is it. This is it, Peter. Everything changes from this moment on because now you recognize who I am on that confession. You now enter this thing called the gathering. And the gathering is going to be busting through the gates of hell. And all the guys are going, I don't know what that means, but it's cool. I write that one down, all right? Write that one down. <laughs> the gathering, first of all, is made up of believers. The gathering is made up of believers. The first time you say yes to Jesus, the first time you say, Jesus, come into my heart and life, when you become a Christian, then you enter into the gathering. You are now a part of the gathering. 
um, the gathering is made up of believers. And it is involved in a battle. The, 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 the gathering is involved in this huge battle that is going on. Where the evil one is trying to win more people and we are busting down the gates, stealing people from the evil one. Hades has people locked up, spiritually dead, filled with self, silverwood hate. But the church is on the attack and the church is trying to win people to, to, uh, to Jesus. The gathering wins people from that captivity. You say, Dave, is that really what that's about? At the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, this is what it says. Revelation 22, 17, it says this. The spirit and the bride say, come. And, and let the one who hears, come. And uh, let the one who is thirsty and the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. So what's that about? What's that about? In other words, God is saying, come to me. Come. Are, are, you, are you tired? Are, are you exhausted? Come. And I'm going to give you waters of forever life. Well, who's asking me? Who's, who's shouting out the message? Two people. The Holy Spirit is out tapping people. And the bride. You know who the bride is? That's, we're going to look at that metaphor in a little bit. But the bride is the church. The bride is the church. So the church is going out saying, listen, come to Jesus. And guess what? The Spirit is by, by there. And there's a partnership between the church and, and, and the Spirit. And they say, come. And you're going to get living water. So that is the job of the church to be able to reach out. To do battle against the evil one, rip down those gates, and see people fall into the arms of God with living water. So the church is a gathering of believers who are tasked with rescuing people. There's other metaphors. The other one is the gathering is, 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 is Jesus' body. And we're going to be talking about this more of this later. Colossians chapter 1 verse 24 says, Paul says, I'm glad when I suffer for you in my body. He gets beat up for doing his ministry. For I am participating in the sufferings of Christ. In other words, Christ got beat up for us. Christ got beat up for us. So it's kind of fun that I get to do the same thing. Now Christ paid for our sins. I'm just, I'm just getting beat up for giving the message. But it's interesting that the sufferings of Christ that continue for his body. We don't think that Christ continues to suffer for us. That as he stands as our advocate saying, no, have mercy, no, have mercy on this, that he is fighting that battle too for his body, the church. He is fighting that body for the church. And you notice that the metaphor is there. The church is Christ's body. What does that mean? We're going to look at that a little bit more later. But we are in Christ, so we are, we are in his body. We follow the head. <clears throat> We're connected to other people in the body. We're the hands of love, the words of truth. The gathering, the gathering, the church is Christ's body on earth. Who, where is Jesus right now? It, it is in the church, the gathering. That's where Christ's body is on earth. Christ, uh, the gathering of, uh, of Jesus is also called his bride, his bride. Now, uh, I know every so often I'll talk to young people about how the whole thing about, you know, dating, engagement happened back in the Old Testament. And a lot of times, the first thing, you like, ew, really? You mean they didn't date for a long time? No. Uh, usually, a guy and a girl, they'd sort of get to know each other in their small communities. There wasn't a lot of pickings out there, right? They're usually in small communities. But the guy would start to go and get to know the girl, and then he'd say, I want to marry her. There had to be some kind of reciprocation. But what would happen would be then the, the, the man would go and say, can I marry your daughter? 
Can I? So it's the, the whole initiation starts with the guy saying, can I, can I marry you? Can, is there a sort, of a, uh, a sort of a calling out? So then the man pays the price, the pays the price. And then after he pays the price and there is an engagement betrothal, he goes away and makes a home. Well, she gets herself ready for the, for the wedding day. It's interesting, isn't it? What a cool picture of how the whole Jesus thing works. Jesus comes and says, you know what? I want you. I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you, I want you. He wants everybody. But he, I want you, I want you. And so he's calling out, saying, come, come, I want you, I want you, I want you. And he pays the price of his own life. Pays the price of his own life for this fantastic thing called his church, his bride. Then he says in John 14, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. And so he's been working on a great, fantastic home for us. He's preparing this amazing place. It's going to be utterly amazing. I think he's probably working on New Jerusalem. Who knows? But he's up there working on something. He's working on something. And our job is to get ourselves ready and beautiful for our groom. We're supposed to be getting ourselves beautiful and gorgeous. What are the things that help us be beautiful for our, our groom? There's actually a couple things. A couple things that's really interesting. In Revelation chapter 19, it goes like this. Revelation 19, 7 and 8. He says, let's be glad and rejoice. Let's give honor to him. This is at the end of time. And, and it says, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb. The Lamb is Jesus. And there's going to be a huge banquet. And it's just going to be this whole idea of wedding. Because he just wants to be with us. He just wants to dwell with us. And his bride has prepared herself. So that's us, the church. We're preparing ourselves for the wedding feast. Uh, she has been given the finest pure linen to wear. That's purity and holiness. As we develop holiness in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're making ourselves ready for Jesus. And then it says this. This is really fun. For the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. Isn't that beautiful? So every time you do a good deed, every time you do something good to other people, it doesn't get you to heaven. But when you're in heaven, you're more and more beautiful for your king. Isn't that, isn't that awesome? So how can we make ourselves so amazing for Jesus at the wedding? Because he has given everything. So we just, we just are full of goodness. And as we, we spill over goodness to people everywhere we go, it's actually making us more and more beautiful for our king. The gathering, the gathering, the gathering is his bride. And because it's his bride, he is so excited. He loves the gathering. He loves the church. Theologians recognize there's two kinds of gatherings. There's the local church and the universal church. Local and universal. And so as you read through the scriptures, there's some things called the universal church. The universal church is the gathering of all Christians from all times when we all gather in heaven. That is when you become a Christian, you become part of the church. You, that's the universal gathering. But there is also this thing called the local church. That is actually when you read the scriptures, two-thirds of the references to church are for local churches and not for the universal church. A lot of people will be really happy to be a part of the universal church. I'm a part of the universal church. I'm a Christian. It's not, it's not about, you know, it's not about the building. I hear Christians say this, and it's so wrong. You know, you don't have to correct them. You can just, you know, go just inside. Use your inside voice. No. Like some people say you don't go to church. You are the church. Well, no. 
It's called the gathering. It's like you're saying, you are the gathering, but you don't gather. <laughs> you do go to gather. You do go to church. That's the local church. But the gathering is going to happen someday at the end of time. And Jesus loves his local gathering. In fact, when, he was, uh, when Jesus was talking to local churches, the first few chapters in Revelations are so amazing. Jesus writes a letter or, or speaks, speaks to seven local churches, and he addresses each local church. He uses, local, he uses the word church in the plural, not in the singular as the universal church, but as individual local churches. And what is this picture? Revelation is full of, of imagery. I get this, but let's just imagine. Jesus is seen walking amongst lampstands. Can you imagine a huge room filled with lampstands? What's Jesus doing right now? Jesus is just like chilling, walking around the lampstands. These are his local churches. It just shows again that Jesus bride his local church. He, where is he right now? He's loving the local church as he's walking amongst these lampstands. And he's carrying, two, he's carrying something in his hands. He's carrying something in his hands, stars. Stars in his hand. And we go, okay, wow, okay, what does that represent? What does that represent? Well, let's read it in Revelation chapter 1, verse 20 to verse 2 and 1. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you saw in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the messengers. Messengers. The messengers of the seven churches. Now, we don't know. Literally, it just means messengers. So the word messengers often is translated angels. So you'll hear some translations say, these are the angels, the seven angels of the seven local churches. Which is just like really cool to think a local church gets an angel. Isn't that cool? Wonder what ours is like. Probably a little beat up. That's okay. But it seems like God says there is every local church, all seven of them, get a messenger. It might be, it might be an angel or it might be the pastor. It might be somebody that's in charge, the messenger. We don't know, but all I know is this, that a local church is a real thing, a singular thing that is real and alive in Jesus' mind. We either have an angel, we certainly have a lampstand. Of the seven, and the seven lampstands are seven churches. Write a letter to the message, to the messenger of the church in Ephesus. Now it begins. This is the message for the one who holds the seven stars in his hand, the one who walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. So this has so many layers. But this next metaphor is this, that the local church, the local church is a lampstand. A lampstand. Now it's, it's fun. I know, again, I'm sorry I'm getting a bit... I hope I don't get too much in the weeds of information. But some people like this stuff. So the lampstands were also made in the Old Testament. And there was a lampstand in the tabernacle, in the temple. And the, uh, the idea of the lampstand in the temp temple or tabernacle was made of the purest, finest gold. It had a center post and then six uh, and then uh, three on either side, lights on either side. So it's a, a lampstand of seven lights. And at the end of each one of those lights was, was a bud. It was an almond bud that uh, they, they, it was a cup of almond uh, uh, bud made of pure gold. And they, they lit the fire in there. Uh, and that, that lamp had to go all the time, 24-7. had never to go out. It had to keep a light shining all the time. So this is all found in Exodus chapter 25. So, I asked my friend, Harvey, the amazing wonder Christian, the guy that's this Jewish friend. 
I said, so what's this lampstand in the tabernacle all about? And he gets really excited, and this is what he tells me. He said, Dave, Dave, you know about almond trees? I said, no, I have no idea about almond trees. <laughs> he said, in the Middle East, they're the first thing to bloom. So it's winter, it's dead, and then all of a sudden you see the almond trees starting to bloom. They would be like the crocuses here. It's like a sign of new life. It's like life has come out of death. So whenever you read in the Old Testament about almonds or almond buds, you're always seeing new life, new life. Yeah, that's kind of cool. So a lampstand, a local church, represents new life. It's made of people of new life, made of gold, tested in the, the finest way. But not only that, not only that, but it has to be continually shining all the time. And that's what God is asking us to do. The local church is the light of the world. The lampstand is the light of the world shining out to a dark world continually and that is the image that Jesus decided to use for a local church. The local church is a real thing. It's not a human organization. Jesus made it up. Jesus walks among them. Jesus loves them as his bride. They're more than a small group. Each local church is represented in heaven. And Jesus walks among them and speaking to their angels or their messengers. And so what do we do again? We're rescuing those who are far from God. But not only that, we are a place of diversity. We're a place of, of different kinds of people all coming together. This is one of the beautiful things that God wants to show everyone. It says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. That's that rich variety. Look around us. Like we're just like so different. Different educational levels, different races, different backgrounds, different personalities. Our whole variety of different people are all thrust together just to get along, worship him. And so, the, so God's purpose in all this was to use, God, use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety. To who? To the all unseen rulers, authorities in the heavenly places. In other words, the whole spiritual realm is looking at the church. And as we get along with each other and love each other in our rich diversity, it's like showing God how amazing he is. It's like us putting on a concert for other people. It's in the unseen realm as we love each other well and we reach each other out. Uh, well, uh, when a local church is doing what it's supposed to be doing, the unseen realm goes, whoa, God is so wise in how he did this. And we get to witness to them. I love it. Things we don't see, but I love it. Not only that, are we a concert to the spiritual world, but also we're a distinct unit. How are we a distinct unit? Different, different than meeting your friends at Starbucks. It's because this. God also decided to set people in charge of local churches. And that's what we don't like, do we? <laughs> I mean, this, our culture doesn't like authority on any level. But the whole idea of having anybody in charge of something just sort of grates us. It sort of works against the whole idea of a movement. And so, and so that sort of grates us. But what happened was when Paul went on his minute... Uh, his missionary journey, he went and won a lot of people to Jesus. And then he stopped and he turned around and he came back and he formed local churches. Guess what he did as he formed a local church? He called out elders in each one. He called out elders in each one to be in charge, to be spiritually responsible. And you go, wow, that's nice. You get to be in charge of something. <laughs> but there is an opposite thing that's maybe a lot more difficult. 
And this is it. It's found in Hebrews 13, 17. And it says this, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. And so the elders in a church, the elders in a church need to watch over the souls of our people. And they are accountable to God. And so I know I am accountable to God for you guys. And that's just scary, all right? <laughs> that's just like really scary. Well, you know, it would be great to be. No, no. Unless you want to be accountable to God for something, don't jump into it too quickly. They are accountable to God. So give them reason to do this with joy and not sorrow, that they would certainly not be, that would certainly not be for your benefit. So Jesus, Jesus talked about the authority of a church, of a local church too. He said when there's problems in a church and somebody's just doing something they shouldn't be doing, you should go and talk to them one-on-one. And if that doesn't work out, bring somebody else. Give them lots of time. This is a process to try and help them work things out. But at the end of it all, if it doesn't work, you take it to the authority of the church. You take it to the church. And then they will make a decision because that group is a thing that actually needs to be kept spiritually alive. And so... That's a little bit about what the church is. <laughs> local church, local church in the heavenly realm is a, is a reality in the heavenly realm. With elders in charge, gifts that fit us together for our mission together, and it's open to everyone. That is what a local church is. And I'm not sure what we're like, but I believe with all my heart that in heaven we get a, a lampstand. Church on the Rock Hamilton. Woohoo! Yeah. Actually, one, one, of the, one of the churches, that Jesus says, be careful if you do these things. I'm going to put your light out. So we don't want that. We want our light to be shining brightly. And that's why I want us to be shining brightly to our community. That's why I'm pretty actually pumped about our new land, our building. This isn't what the message is about. But I want to be a city on a hill. I want to be shining out to others because this is what a local church should be doing. We are rescuing people with the spirit and the bride saying, come on. This is the best thing in the world. We do it together as a body. And so you do your part, I do my part. But because all the parts fit together so well, we do it so well together. And then we're just a, a place of diversity that everybody is welcome, no matter what you like. And we're going to fit together and we're going to work together. And we're going to love each other greatly because love covers a multitude of sins. And guess what? We're just going to get together as a, as a group to see this work. And that is why I love the local church. Even though we're messy, sometimes we're a little ugly, we're full of people. What can you expect, right? <laughs> but unlike that writer that wrote way back that I talked about in the, in the opening, actually, God does ask us to attend. Hebrews 10, you knew I was going to say this, 23 to 24. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. In other words, hold on to what you believe. No matter what, hold on to that. Why? Because that is spiritually dangerous if you let go of what you believe. I believe it can be eternally dangerous. For God can be trusted, can be trusted to keep his promises. So hold on to what you believe. God can be trusted. And let us think of ways of, to motivate one another. To act to acts of love and good works. Why? Because guess what? We want to look beautiful for the king, don't we? So let's get together and let's motivate each other. Hey, you know what we're doing? We're having some people over. You know what? We're giving to this thing. Let's, let, let's do good and let's sort of 
push each other on in goodness. So, so the goodness of the bride will shine to Jesus. Let's think of ways to motivate each other to love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together. As some people do. Already at that time saying, ah, really? It's not necessary for my salvation. It's not. So don't neglect that. But encourage one another. So we come here to be encouraged, one another. Especially now that the day of his return is coming near. I want everyone to find a local church and to be locally grown. Wherever that is, it's awesome. When university students, when you move from church on the rock, find a local church and grow there. If you move to a different city, Find a local church and grow there. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up. I, uh, I used to go and speak to a camp all the time. Great Christian family, awesome Christian family. They had a bunch of kids. And remember this one guy, Luke. Um, he was away from, uh, at college for four years. And uh, I just hadn't seen him for a while. So I went and said, hey, Luke, how you doing? And he just sort of looked at me and he said, not so good. What's the matter, Luke? I, I've had a hard time with my faith. And it kind of boggled my mind because, like, he grew up in this great Christian ministry and he saw, you know, all kinds of things happen all around him. I said, what, well, what happened? What happened? Did, did some disaster happen in your life? No. Did, did you lose a friend? No. How, how, come, how come you're having so much trouble with your faith? This is what he said. Dave, I... I know everything about God, at least I thought I did. I wasn't learning anything new at church, so I stopped going. Didn't go for four years. He said, there are some things that I've done that I thought I'd never do. They came so easy to do because I wasn't in community with other believers. He says, I'm back, but it's taken me a while to come back. And he just sort of looked at me and said, I wish I never stopped. And that's my hope for all of us here. That you'll love the local church and grow locally. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for making this faith not just a personal thing, but something more than personal. It, you've made community. And you've made community in a very specific way that's spiritually alive that you love as you walk amongst them. Thank you for your local churches. We pray for local churches in Hamilton. God, I pray that you'll, you'll raise them up, help them to preach the gospel, your truth. Help them to reach out to those that need you, God. Well, I thank you for all the local churches. Lord, help them to be faithful to you. In Jesus' name, amen.